example of fearlessness, that's it right there, right? And what a, like, I think an appropriate topic to talk about on Mother's Day. When I think about people who are fearless in our world, I, I think mothers are probably, like, number one. Like, probably number one. So this morning, like I said, I want to kind of take us full circle back to Easter Sunday. And uh, we're going to spend a little time being encouraged by Luke's portrait um, of the resurrected Jesus. Um, so let's get right into it. Let's take a look at Luke 24, starting in verse 1. And it starts like this. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb carrying the burial spices they had prepared. Okay, I hate to do this. I, I usually hate when people stop in the middle of Scripture, but we have to do It's too perfect this morning. We have to do this this morning. Okay? My mom is here, right? My wife, the beautiful mother of my children is here. And, and just, like, let's point this out, okay? Just to remind everyone, when Jesus was taken from the garden... And when he was put on trial and then later executed, the men deserted him. They left. The male disciples fled. They were scared. Peter denied him. There was only one guy in the retelling of the story that stuck around. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. But all the other men split out of town. But who stuck around? The women. The women disciples. They're the ones that loved him through the death and were continuing to love his supposed lifeless body in the tomb. Okay, are there any sisters in the house? All right, yeah, okay. There's your Mother's Day sermon right there, all right? The women, they're the one who stuck around, right? And so, I, women, I want to tell this to you just real quick, a little tangent. Um, you are important. You are valued. God uses you because you're an equal heir to the kingdom, all right? Us men, we have this kind of nasty habit of, like, deserting of saying, this is too hard, I'm too scared, i got to get out of here. Um, but you, you women, your gifts are so necessary. They're necessary in culture. They're necessary in business. Of course, they're necessary in the home. They're necessary in education and healthcare, And they're especially necessary in the church. Okay? At River City Vineyard, your opinions, your gifts, your thoughts, your leadership, your influence, they're not only welcomed, but they are the lifeblood of our church. We need you. Okay, women, we need you, all right? Because you stick around. You are fearless, okay? All right, rabbit trail aside, let's uh, keep looking at Luke 24. So here's verse 2, all right? The women found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of the master Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then, out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. The men said, why are you looking for the living one in the cemetery? He is not here, but he's raised up. Remember how he told you when we were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up? Then they remembered Jesus' words. They left the tomb and broke the news of all this to the eleven and to the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them kept telling these things to the apostles. This is so funny. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it, thought they were making it all up. Okay, yeah, man, we still don't have that problem today, do we? Not believing our wives, right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Verse 12, but Peter jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in and saw a few grave clothes, that's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. Okay. That same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. All right, so let's take another pause right there. Okay, So Luke moves his narrative from um, the women finding that Jesus isn't there, telling the men what happened, the men not believing them because they're dumb, and then he zooms out of this 
out of these women into this, this duo of, of men, these other disciples, and they weren't part of the twelve, these other followers of Jesus who were walking, uh, leaving Jerusalem, heading to Emmaus. Now, why are they heading to Emmaus? Okay? I think it's safe to assume, just using context clues, that they were probably from Emmaus. Right? At some point in the last three years, right, Jesus went from village to village to village, kind of performing miracles, telling people about the love and the kingdom of God is here. And so probably sometime in the last three years, Jesus visited them in their village, or they saw him, and they decided, and they told all their friends and all their family in this tiny little town of probably like 300 people only, they said, all right, we're dropping our fishing nets, we're leaving everything behind, leaving friends, leaving family, we're going to follow this Jesus of Nazareth guy. And you can bet that all their friends and family, and especially like their annoying brother-in-law or the guys they went to school with, were probably like, okay, good luck with that, all right? Drop your nets, ooh, all right, have fun, right? We have to remember that at this time, there were a lot of people, I don't know if you know this, but it's true, there were a lot of people who said they were the Messiah. There were. This was like a common thing. A lot of men would like go and say they were the Messiah, and they'd get these followers, and they'd start this movement, and then they would die, and that would be it, and the movement would end, because that's what humans do, right? We die, and then people are like, oh, we were wrong, okay? And so Jesus was this other guy, right? Jesus of Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth, right? Nothing special. Jesus was even a really common name. So this ordinary guy, okay, this ordinary guy, they thought, right, came to the village, and two of these disciples decided to drop everything and follow him, all right? And now, now they're walking back because the guy that they left everything behind for is dead. They think that they were wrong about it. They know that others in their village probably think they were wrong. And now they got to go back home and face the ridicule. So, so if you want to imagine yourself there, they're probably walking really slowly. And they're probably thinking of all these excuses they're going to say to their annoying brother-in-law and all these things because they know they got to go home and face the fact that they... That this guy that they left their life behind, like, he's dead. So, like I said, I bet these guys were probably walking as slowly as they can. And they were probably really downtrodden and depressed. And then Luke continues this story by telling us that the resurrected Jesus himself comes and joins them in their walk. But they were kept from recognizing him. Okay? Which is probably one of two things. One, Jesus is doing like his God thing and he's playing this really funny trick where he's like maybe, you know, like using some, you know, like God stuff to like blind them. Or probably more likely, they're so scared and they're so like consumed with fear and their confidence is so shot that they're blinded to see what's right in front of them. That this guy that they followed for years and years, now they can't even recognize him walking a few miles with him. Okay? So according to Luke, Jesus notices that the men are kind of bummed out, and he asks them what's going on. Right? The men then explain to this stranger, who's actually Jesus, um, that, um, that they you know, followed this guy from Nazareth, and they thought he was the Messiah, but now he's dead. And not only that, but they can't find the body, so they're real confused, and they're real scared, and, and they have to head home. And then Jesus is like, sorry, I'm kind of paraphrasing all of this for time. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And he begins to tell them the same events that just happened. Right? Like, yes, all that happened, right? The, you know, Jesus, you know, this guy. And, but he reworks those events. He reworks those events to explain to them that this is how it was supposed to happen. That if you actually read the scriptures and the prophecies, that all this happened according to the scriptures and prophecies. Okay, so he kind of reworked all the events that just happened to explain, like, no, this is how it was supposed to go. But the guys still don't recognize that they're walking with Jesus. Okay, so... 
what's kind of happening here, all right? I think Luke is telling the story about Jesus rising from the dead, right? No one recognizes him. The women can't find him. The men don't believe him. And these two guys who followed Jesus for years don't even recognize him, right? In the Gospel of John, right? Remember, Mary thinks Jesus is the gardener, right? Mary doesn't even recognize Jesus, okay? I don't know about you, but when I die and rise from the dead and my friends don't recognize me, I'm like so frustrated, right? Okay, that was a joke. It didn't work very well. Um, but you probably feel the same way too, right? Jesus is unrecognized after his resurrection by even his closest followers. Until, until, and this is big, until they stop for a meal and Jesus breaks bread. Boom. That's when it switches. Let's pick it up in verse 28. Okay, we'll read together. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him. Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went in with them. And here's what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road? As he opened up the scriptures for us? All right, family, what's going on here? Um, this, this moment in, the, in, in Luke's portrait of the resurrection, this is what I want to focus on, okay? And, and we have to take a little bit of, of contextual history lesson here. So in first century Judea, okay, in the first century in Judaism, um, bread is like a super important thing. It's really, really, really important, right? You have to remember in this society... Okay, like their entire economy, their livelihood, it's all agrarian. Okay, it's all agricultural, right? They can't just walk to the Emmaus HEB and buy strawberries in December, right? That doesn't exist, okay? They only eat and they only live if the ground produces food, okay? So bread, every time that they would break bread at the table and share it with each other, It was like they were breaking this precious, sacred gift that God gave them. They did the planting, but they had to trust with their entire lives that God was going to bring the rains, that God was going to have fertile soil, and that the the earth was going to do its thing, and that they were going to be able to eat. Okay, So bread is holy and sacred to the Jews because life was holy and sacred. All right, Bread is kind of like this daily reminder that God gave us this earth, as a precious gift, right? There's even this very famous ancient Jewish saying, every table and altar. Okay, I should have uh, wrote it down in Hebrew. That probably would have sounded cooler. But it translates to every table and altar. All right? So even more so than the temple, like the, the table where you break the bread was like a common sacred space for Jews. Okay? All right? We, we, we with me on that? So what I think Jesus is doing by his first act when he resurrects as he breaks the bread with his followers. And, and what, what Luke is trying to tell us uh, is this. I think the earth, like this earth, like where I'm standing, this is our home. Okay? Right? And I talked about this like a, a little over a month ago. Um, but Jesus didn't come and die and resurrect so that we could be sucked out of here to heaven. Right? That's not the plan. That's not the plan. For millennia and millennia, there's been like this thought that heaven is somewhere else, that our eternal life is somewhere else, and that's not what it is, right? The story of the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, is about this earth. It's about what's going on here. This is where the action is, right? We don't start in Genesis with like man rebelled and sin. We start with God creating this earth, and he calls it what? Good. 
right? God creates the birds, good. God creates the plants, good. God creates man and woman coming together, really good, right? Okay, right? The first words about this earth is that it's good. The first words about you and specifically your body, your physical body, is that it's very good, okay? Jesus didn't come so that we would be, so we'd have this like escape plan from this earth, okay? Jesus comes and he gives us this new resurrection life to live forever here. This is where the action is, okay? The forever heaven, the forever earth is going to be here. God's restoring and redeeming and rebuilding here, okay? The Bible is a story about here and the kingdom of God being established here. And at the end of time, it's finally going to be established in its fullness and its glory right here, okay? So this true eternal life, right, this life that Jesus wants to lead us into when we encounter him is not about how you can get out of this world, but it's about how you can see the depth and the beauty and the holiness of who you are, skin and flesh and blood and all, and what you do here on this earth and how it fits into the kingdom of God. Okay? The story is about God who wants to rescue this world, redeem this world, repair this world. Now, I admit that our bodies and this earth, we rebelled, we sinned, we used them for evil. We distort the image of God. Right? But when we started that rebellion right, with Adam and Eve, God didn't say, okay, peace out. I'm going to go create something else. He continued to work here. He entered into earth here. He took on, you know, and as it says in the message, I love this, he took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Right? You with me? That's hip. That's, that's what God did. He didn't say so long. He continued and started to restore here. Restore us, restore relationships, restore this earth. So, back to Jesus at the table. If you can imagine with me sitting at this table with Jesus and these two male disciples, and he's breaking the bread, and he's blessing the bread, and he's sharing the bread, right? This same Jesus, right, who was just mocked, right, spat upon. After Jesus' first sermon, they tried to run him out of town and, like, throw him off a cliff. Okay, right? This same Jesus who was, you know, pierced in his side, who was whipped, who was flogged, was publicly ridiculed, and then dies in what is still history's most shameful and painful execution style we've ever come up with, right? This same Jesus, okay, he rises from the dead and then he breaks and shares bread with his followers. What is this supposed to mean? What is Luke trying to say? And here's where I'm going to end this morning, okay? If you have experienced the absolute worst that you can possibly experience, that a human could possibly experience, and yet you live to tell about it, and you live to give thanks, and you live to share bread, and share your life, and share the earth, and share your gifts, and share things with others, then you are a dangerous person. You are a bad man or woman. No one is going to do anything to you. Because what what are they going to do to you? Kill you? Like, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? Okay, it, what can they do to you? They can't, if you go through everything a human can go through and then you live, you can now live fearlessly. You have nothing to fear. 
So we have Jesus at this table, right? A fearless man. He's gone through everything that someone can go through, and yet he's alive, and he's blessing, and he's breaking, and he's sharing bread, which, remember, to, to, to the Jews, really means that he's blessing and breaking and sharing this gift of life on this earth with his followers, right? So he's affirming and sharing um, what they do in their work here on this earth. Um, his resurrection, right, means that we can have resurrection, His fearlessness means that we can die and be resurrected to live fearlessly, okay? Not just forever, not just after our earthly death and and resurrection, but we get to start in this resurrection cycle, this dying to yourself and being resurrected, we get to start right now. Like, our, our, our resurrected life can start today. For a lot of us, it started sometime in the past, and we're living it forever, right? And we're gonna die, we're gonna die in a very earthly sense, but we're not gonna die. Right? And then we're going, to continue. we're going to be resurrected. And we're going to continue to live here on this earth. Okay? But we live our lives kind of differently. Right? Uh, you know, as Bryant was kind of saying, a lot of us live small lives. Right? We don't have boldness. We don't take risks. Right? We don't really live once we're awakened. Right? A lot of us are scared of being misunderstood. Um, a lot of us, I know, are crippled with anxiety. We have these regrets in the past, right? We have these worries about the future. And all these things are really the same sides of of one dice or coin or whatever. It's all fear. It's all based in fear. That's really what all this is. We're all consumed with fear, right? I I have a lot of personal experience with fear, but especially right now, because Kate and I are buying a house, okay? I've never bought a house before. Buying a house might be the most stressful and fearful experience I've ever... It is. I'm not might. I was less scared marrying Kate. I was less scared having a baby than I am buying a house. Okay? Like, the entire financial system preys on the fear of consumers. You realize that, right? They make the financial system so that the people who actually understand it and write it, okay, are the only ones who can benefit from it. Okay? And the rest of us who are too scared to take risks or too scared to do anything, like, they pray... It's all based in fear. So many things in this world preys on fear. It needs fear. We live in fear, yet most of us have already encountered and shared in the breaking of the bread with the resurrected Jesus. So Jesus is offering us a resurrection life that is eternal, and it starts now. Okay? So, family, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Think about it. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? Right? Is it that you lose a loved one? Is it that you lose your house? Is it that you lose all your earthly possessions? Um, is it that maybe your business venture that you're starting goes, you know, as George would say, belly up? Maybe in like two weeks, it just flops, right? Is it that your marriage fails, right? Is it that you're too scared to give everything you have away as a blessing to others because you think that means you're going to be homeless, right? Or maybe you just like, you, you're, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you die, Right? Is that your, your, your life ends. Ends. Right? Here's what I think the resurrected Jesus would tell us about all these fears. I think he would say, you know what? Yeah. Those all could happen. You, you could become homeless. And you might lose a loved one. And you might lose your house. And you might lose your entire IRA and all your money. And yeah, you'll probably... Um, 
you know, you'll probably have some, like, a lot of business failings in your life. And, and yeah, you could lose um, your very own life. You could lose um, all your money, all your possessions. Um, but then he would say, guess what? You will survive. You are resurrected. And you will walk again on this earth. And not only will you survive, but you're inheriting the kingdom of God, which is greater than all of those things, right? Your life might go through death, but then you will be resurrected and your life will go on forever in the presence of the king, okay? So if we know that, if we know that all of these things that could happen might happen, but guess what? But then we're going to live to tell about it? What does that make us? Dangerous. We are dangerous. We are bad men and women. Right? We can live fearlessly with that. If the worst thing that can happen to us happens and we live, which we will live, we will live, our eternal life is real. We will live to tell about it. Then we can be fearless. Ooh, we can be bad, people. We can be bad. We can, we can take on that business venture that God wants to call us to. Right? We can give everything we have away to those in need. Right? We can love even the hardest person to love. Right? We can see both sides of the political aisle and try to work for compromise. Right? We can do some awesome things when we live a fearless life. We can let go of our desire to control, to mitigate risk, to live safely, to not live this big, expansive life. Right? Remember, it's so funny. Jesus is so funny. Right? He says, in order to live your life, what do you have to do? You got to lose it. You got to die to yourself. Because when you die to yourself, right, when you die to that fear of losing all your money, when you die to that fear of not getting the right home, when you die to that fear of losing your son or your mother or your father, when you die to those things, then you can really live. Now we're talking. Now we are forces to be reckoned with in this world, right? Now the Spirit can use every inch of us in a bold and fearless way to go out and help and join in God with bringing his kingdom here to this earth. Now we can live. So uh, we're going to end our time um, today. If, um, if you need to grab your children and go, feel free to do that. Uh, for the rest of us, we're going to do some kingdom time. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray for each other. And... and uh, there's kind of six things I want to bring up that, that we might be able to pray for. Um, one is some of us might be consumed with worry or anxiety about the future. Okay? I know I am. Okay? You don't have to raise your hands. But I, a lot of us are probably like, we live with this cloud blinding us from the resurrected Jesus because we are just so in the thick of a fog of worry. Okay? A lot of us are holding on to, clinging to these regrets from the past, and we can't move past them. Okay? A lot of us have this anxiety about circumstances or our situation, right? A lot of us, um, our fists are closed and we're holding so tightly because we want to control things. We, if only this person could live this way. If only my son or daughter can do these things. Can't they see that I know what's best for them? If only I can make this amount of... So we just live our lives like... Just, oh, this just makes me, like, not comfortable. We live our lives with our fists so wound up. And we can finally let that go. Right? A lot of us have a fear of losing our stuff. Right? That's not really ours anyway. Right? But a lot of us have a fear of losing everything. And finally, um, maybe some of us um, honestly haven't started this resurrection life. We never had a real encounter with Jesus and began this resurrection life that can start right when you meet him. Okay, so 
And all of these ways, we'll, we're kind of turn the lights down, we'll put some music on. Um, I just want for us to pray for each other. So if you want to pray for people in your area or if you want to move around, and, and let's just pray that, um, that we can die to those things. We can die to the fear. All these things are based in fear. We can die to those. We can die to anxiety, die to worry, die to regrets, okay? So that Jesus can resurrect us to really live, to really live, to really enjoy the resurrection life that he wants for us, okay? So let's put some music on. We'll turn the lights down, and I'll come up together and, uh, and close us in prayer. But please, um, I, I would love for us to pray for each other. I think one of the things that like, we have to do when we come together is like pray corporately, right? Like we can pray on our own. All the, what's the point of doing that when we're with family together? So let's, let's lay hands on each other. Let's pray for each other, share with each other, and then I'll come back up in a few minutes, and I'll close this together. So thank you.